So I'll give you a sneak peek, or at least some insight into what one of the things that's going to happen in our outdoor service this morning, and that is, as far as I know, um, I'm actually, and I can't believe I'm going to do this, but I'm preaching in a Tom Brady jersey this morning. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, and, uh, the, the, yeah, it hurts. It hurts to talk about. It's choking me up. Uh, what happened was uh, one, of the, one of the families in the church, uh, the Abbesses, and they're really staunch Patriot fans, and uh, go figure, they said that they would contribute $100 to a charity of my choice if I wore a Tom Brady jersey today. <laughs> and because I'm a charitable guy, I'm going to wear the jersey and thank them for the contribution to the um, Ryan and Cassidy Schmidt College Fund <laughs> that they're going to be. Now, they are contributing. They're not, con I'm not doing that. We're going to actually, they're going to contribute to the, um, the, the mission work, the team that's going to, f to uh, f the For His Children mission down in Ecuador. And we're going we're gonna to take that donation and put that there. And because it's going to bless the children, I'm willing to do an abominable thing and put that jersey on. So uh, just because just I know there's some Patriot fans in here, I thought you all would get a kick out of knowing, knowing that's going to happen. All right, we're going to turn in a moment to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 11, and we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit um, about vision this morning. Now, when I say that word, most of us think in a, in a very narrow, our instinct is to think kind of in a narrowly defined understanding of vision. Uh, years ago, well, when Tony and I started dating through the first oh gosh, I would say seven or eight years of, of our relationship dating and the marriage, uh, Tony had really bad vision. You know, she had really, she had glasses. She couldn't see much without her glasses or without her contacts in. And uh, in, I guess it was about 25, 26, she had an opportunity, her parents paid for her to have LASIK. Some of you have had that procedure done. And all of a sudden she went from not being able to see anything to 20-20 vision. I mean, her vision was better than mine after that. And, uh, but I remember, I remember as we sat with the, um, you know, the doctors, the optometrists, and those who were doing that, and they were just talking about this procedure and the effects of the procedure, and they said, it, you know, you'll, you'll maintain really good vision until you start to hit about your 40s, and then it'll start to slip a little bit. It'll deteriorate the way that most people's vision does. And, they, and, and I remember going, well, I've got 20-20 vision. And, he and the doctor said, you do now, you know. Uh, but you'll hit your 40s, and it'll start to deteriorate. And, and so I have moments of realization now that that's happening. Uh, w you know, we, we use a back projector up here. You all know that most of us can see what you see on the back wall so that we're on. And so when we're just this morning, as we're doing the responsive reading, I had it in, on my notes, but I always want to make sure we're on the same page. So I started reading my part off the back wall, which was fine when it was two lines because it adjusts the font. But when the screen kicked up and all of a sudden I was reading four lines, it got smaller. And I had a panic because I'm like, I don't know if I can read that anymore. <laughs> I used to, 
but that's, it's, it's starting to slip. One of these days you're going to know, because all of a sudden, those of you that pay attention to details, my Bible's going to get bigger. <laughs> because all of a sudden, I mean, I, I notice it's, it's small font in here, and it's getting a little harder to see. That's kind of what happens. That's what we think about vision. How well do we see what is literally, tangibly there? How well do we process uh, the, the environment around us and, and, and how are we able to make sense of, of the details of the things that are, that are transparent and, and in some places obvious. Well, we're talking about vision a little bit different today uh, and, and a, wider, a wider understanding of vision. So we're going we're gonna to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 22 through 28. Hear these words that Moses speaks to the people. And this is what we read. It says, if you carefully observe all these commands I am giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon. And from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea, no one will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as he promised you, will put the terror and fear of you on the whole land wherever you go. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving to you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from the way I am commanding you today by following other gods which you have not known. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us and for the opportunity in these moments we have to, to be challenged by that word, to be shaped by your word and to be open to your Holy Spirit. Speak in these moments. Touch our hearts. Do with us as you will. We pray in Christ. Amen. Moses, in this text, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, is sharing a vision. This, this is part of the, the, the farewell discourse. Deuteronomy is, is Moses' farewell discourse. Um, he's near the end of his life. He knows that his death is near. And he has led the people in this 40 years in the wilderness after they've come out of slavery in Egypt. He's led them to the brink of the promised land. They're on the edge of, of stepping into, crossing into the land that uh, uh, flowing with milk and honey that God had promised. And he knows he's not going with them. This is where his journey ends. And there's a lot of reasons for that that's, that we can explore at another time. But this is, this is the end. So he stands with his people. And, and I, I kind of have a, a, a Lion King visual of this. If you remember the movie Lion King when Mufasa's on the, the ledge with Simba and they're looking out over the, the great vast expanse of the plains and, and basically surveying the kingdom. Uh, that, that's kind of what I have this image of Moses standing with the people, before the people, and he's, he's challenging them to look. And what they see is a land that has other nations, other powers that is not theirs. They haven't even stepped into. And he says, through faith, through obedience, and that's very important, everything you see can be yours. This is the land God has promised. 
These nations which frighten you, which scare you, which seem more powerful than you, can be overcome because God has given you a promise. And so his challenge to them is for them to see beyond what is immediately apparent. To see, to see potential. Jonathan Swift once said that vision isn't just the ability to see what is, but it's the potential to see what could be. And that's, that's what Moses is saying. See not just what is obvious, what is tangible, what is now, but take hold of what could be. It's a vision. It's a promise. It's a, it's a step into your potential. And it's a powerful moment in the Scriptures. But as I think about this, this, this encounter, I think about this story, I think about this entire book of Deuteronomy, which is filled with these kind of visions that Moses desperately wants the people to take hold of. I begin to really think more deeply about not just the vision, but the visionary. Not just the person, or not just what he wants him to see, but the one who is speaking the words, that being Moses. Because there's a lot of things that, that may come to your mind when I say Moses. When we begin to, to talk about Moses, things that, that would describe him. It would be interesting for us to, to you know, have the whiteboard up here and go, okay, tell me about the things you know about Moses. And, and some of the things that inevitably come up with Moses is we talk about his great leadership. He was a great leader. I mean, there a lot of frustrating moments, and he wasn't a perfect leader, but he was a great leader. And God used him to, to do miracles, uh, to, to plagues in Egypt, uh, parting of the sea, water from the rock. Over and over, God used him as an instrument to do miraculous things in front of the people. So we, we talk about his leadership. We talk about the miracles God did through him. We may talk about his great faith and his trust in God in all of this. These are all things that we would use to describe Moses. But, if we were to do a complete, if we're doing an honest picture, if we're not just going to kind of see through the rose-colored glasses, here's something else that we can say about Moses. He was a coward. At least at, for a point, he was a coward. He did not want to do the thing that God had called him to do. He didn't embrace the potential of being the great leader and the great man of faith that he would become. There was a time in his life that he almost was the leader who wasn't. All of these things that we say about, but we have to at least acknowledge this honest reality, not as, an, not as a, a descriptive term of the, the whole of his life, but for a moment. For a moment in his life, he wasn't able to see the very same kind of vision that he cast for his people. And that moment happens in Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4. You may know the story. It's Moses at the burning bush. And when we, we, we if you have a, a concept of that story, uh, you've seen it in, in movies or, or other um, dramas, you know, we have this, this remembrance of God appearing miraculously to Moses, Moses being told to take off his shoes, he's on holy ground, and, and essentially Moses getting this call to go and to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. But what we may forget is that Moses in two chapters there does everything he can to wiggle out of it. He does everything he can to, to say to God, no, I don't want to do this. I'm not capable of doing this. 
And, and it's this back and forth between God and Moses. It's a wonderful and a fascinating story to go back and to reread. Because Moses doesn't want any part of it. Because he's not yet developed that ability to see beyond reality. To see into what could be. He can only see what is. And at the point in life that God appears to Moses in a burning bush, he's an 80-year-old exile who's been living for 40 years as a shepherd in the desert. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, he says this, Who am I? Who am I, essentially, if you that I can do this? Who am I that you would go, that I can go to Pharaoh and demand the people be set free? Who am I that you want any part of me? And basically what Exodus 3 and 4 does is it's this back and forth of God trying to convince Moses that he hasn't made a mistake in calling him. And, and he does a few things that are, that are interesting and of note there. He performs a couple miracles where he has Moses do it, but he doesn't really tell Moses what's going to happen. It's... Um, uh, it's one of the scenes in the scriptures that I think is full of humor. I, I just think there's just moments you just have to, you have to imagine what it must have been like. But in Exodus chapter 4, as this back and forth is going on and God's patience is starting to wear thin with Moses, you may remember he tells Moses, cast your staff on the ground. Okay? And he does. Now remember what, what happens to his staff. It becomes a snake. It becomes a thing. Now he doesn't say to Moses... I'm about to turn your staff into a snake. He says, throw the staff on the ground. Moses throws a stick on the ground. And it becomes a snake. Now, I think that's funny. I think Moses flipped out. I mean, think about most of our reaction. We all have our stories. In fact, it's one of those universal stories when you've run into a snake somewhere you didn't expect it to be. That's momentarily terrifying, even if you like snakes. And I tend to like snakes in, in the right circumstances. <laughs> I like snakes when, I, when the environment's controlled. I like snakes when I know it's a harmless snake. and not a, I don't really want to bump into snakes in my backyard. Uh, um, a couple years ago, we came out. We were the, Tony and I were doing something in the garage, and I looked in the corner, and there was a, uh, a snake skin. And I knew it was a relatively new skin because it hadn't been there. I mean, we're not the neatest people, but I knew I would have noticed where this skin was had it been there for a while, which immediately made me think, if there is a relatively fresh snake skin in my garage, a snake may not be far behind. And knowing I, and Tony's terrified of snakes terrified of snakes. I've told you stories of how I've messed with her over the years with snakes, um, which again is a miracle she's married to me. <laughs> but, um, but, but, I, but I have enough compassion. I thought, okay, if there's a snake, we need to get rid of this thing. Well, you would have laughed your head off if you'd have seen me, the one who says he likes snakes. With a, I had a long I'd st um, stick that I took off a broom. And I'm literally going in the corners, because we got some junk in there, and I'm flipping stuff up and I'm running back. Because I don't know if it's going to be there. And if it is, I don't know what it is. Because we don't want, and, and I've never found the snake. If you run out of the story, I don't know where the snake went. But we turned every, and it was this reoccurring pattern of me kind of, you know, gingerly turning stuff over and backing up because I didn't want to encounter 
the snake on the snake's terms. Okay? I, 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 my mind goes to these kind of places because, you know, we've got this kind of a story where, where God says, throw the, snake down, throw the staff down, it turns into a snake. Then again, God's sense of humor, what does he say? Now pick it up. <laughs> yeah, you pick it up. I'd have been like, turn it back into a stick first, then I'll get it. But that's not what he said. Picks it up and it turns back into a stick. Then in, in, a, in a more, I think honestly, even a more frightening example he tells Moses to put his hand in his cloak, and when he does, he pulls it out, and it's got leprosy. And then he, he heals him immediately. Now, I start to think about that. What's God doing there? Is God showing off? No. Is God demonstrating his, his power? Yeah, he's demonstrating that he has control over things that Moses may not necessarily uh, assume or think of, but I think he's doing something else too. He's teaching Moses to not always trust what you see. What appears to be a staff can become a snake, can become a staff. What appears to be a healthy arm can become leprosy, can become healthy again. Don't just trust in what you see. Trust in the one who is giving you the instructions and the vision. Trust in my voice that is speaking to you. And you know, it goes on. Moses still doesn't buy into it. Moses still tries to get out of it. In fact, in a, in a curious way, the, the story ends with, with Moses still saying, I can't do it. I don't speak well. And, and God's saying, kind of in frustration, fine, your brother's going with you. He speaks well. He'll be your mouthpiece. And that would be Aaron. And that's kind of where it ends. We never get this moment where, where Moses says, okay, I'll do it. We never get this moment where Moses says, fine, I'll go. What we get then is instantly Moses going. I mean, so he responds, but, but we don't get that process of how long it took him to, to you know, to, to buy in, if you will. But he goes. And the rest is, is history, as, as you may know. The, the plagues of Egypt, the people being let go, and Moses leading them through the, through the Red Sea, and then the 40 years in the wilderness. And all of that brings us to this part of Deuteronomy. And what I find so beautiful about Moses' story is that the one who in Exodus chapter 3 couldn't see it, just didn't buy the vision, is the one who in, who in Deuteronomy chapter 11 is telling the people, take hold of it. Is telling them to take hold of it. To, to embrace this that God has promised. And think, well, what has happened to Moses? Well, Moses learned to trust the very thing God told him at the beginning. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8, to the end of this, he says to the people, the Lord goes with you and the Lord goes before you. The Lord goes with you and the Lord goes before you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. But what's so beautiful about Deuteronomy 31, chapter 8, is it's exactly what God told him in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. When Moses is trying to get out of it, when Moses is saying, who am I? How can I do this? God says this, Moses, I'm with you. I am with you. Moses couldn't see it in Exodus. And it becomes the foundation of his faith by Deuteronomy 31. He's understood the truth that it's not based on who he is. It's not who am I. 
It's who is God working through me? Who we are does matter. Our gifts and talents God has breathed into us. We have a role to play. We're not, we're not pawns on a chessboard that God just moves without our, our will and, and willingness. But faith tells us that our power, our strength, our usefulness in a kingdom mindset is birthed not just by who we are, but by the Holy Spirit that comes to work through us. That's what Moses has understood, that it was never just about him. It was about what God could do through him. And as he looks to his people, he wants them to embrace that truth as well. What you see is not the the limit of the potential of what can be because God wishes to be at work through you. So embrace what God wants to do. Embrace God's presence. Embrace that truth. God is with you. And move into your possibilities. Move into your, receive this, this vision. And, and it becomes a challenge for me becomes a challenge for us. What is it that God wants us to see? What is it about how you've been gifted, how you've been called, that God wants you to see that he can do through you, not based on what your current reality is? Because that's what happens. We think our current reality defines our future. And we limit what God can do through us. We become confined by our past defined by our mistakes or, or our understanding of what our potential is, and we miss a God-sized vision that he has before us. And that's not just an individual challenge, that's for us as a church. Celebration Sunday started a year ago through leadership team with the idea to celebrate the ministries of the church, to bring people together as best we could because we know you know, with three services now on the size of the church, we can't do a one service inside. It's not possible. So we thought we'll take one outside. And in doing so, we'll have lunch, we'll be together, but we'll also celebrate what, what God has done in the ministries and, and the opportunities people have to be engaged. And, and I started to think about this kind of vision. I started to think about some of the ministries that that are very visible here at the life, in the life of the church. For instance, I have to think about our thrift stores and many of you who are volunteers over there and the celebration every year of how much that impacts our ministries and, and the, our ability to move forward in, in um, building and growth. Well, the, the, and I don't have the exact date, but those thrift stores began in the, the early 90s. Each one of you that are part of that are part of an ongoing story. But I will bet... And I know that the names of the, the individuals who were part of the visioning for that, who were kind of the incubators for, for that idea of starting a thrift store, but I'd be willing to wager that the idea started in the heart of one person, that somebody caught a vision. Now, they may have shared it and some other people caught it, but at some point, somebody looked over there at those houses and thought, this could be something, something that it currently isn't, and started to talk. Positive started to talk, started to have the conversations. And all of a sudden, some 20 years later, you know, we're worshiping a facility that is here because of the vision somebody had for ministry over there. You know, we, there's no, we make no mistakes about it. This facility, this education building, largely supported 
overwhelmingly supported by that ministry. It starts with a vision. I try to think about our food outreach ministries. It's becoming one of the things that, that we're known for in this community. We get calls all the time. People know that we have opportunities and, and we, we have food for people who are in need. I don't know who started it, but somewhere along the line, somebody saw some space, saw some need, and said, you know what, we can meet that need. We can do something here to help those who are in a place of, of hunger or food shortage. And I know the people that have picked up that vision. But start with somebody who saw something. And our, you know, on Saturdays, they serve hot meals every Sunday. And I don't know, I don't remember, Malcolm, that might have started with you. Malcolm coming into my office one day and saying, you know what, they're giving away non-perishable foods, but we can serve them hot meals. We can, we can do something more. It starts, wasn't happening. Somebody, Malcolm in this case, had a, had a vision. He saw something that could be, and other people get, him, get on board with that. Our Pakistan ministry, Kathy DiCarlo, I remember her coming. We can do this. We can do this and get in the ball rolling and Mick and Carol and others that are part of that every week and, and pack sacks so that kids in schools can go home on weekends with food. It starts with a vision. It starts with somebody who sees something beyond what currently is. Our Stephen ministry program, this week in our leadership team, a couple of our Stephen ministers, Bob and Phyllis, came in to talk about an idea for something. And they handed out a, a sheet that had the history of Stephen ministry. And, and I, I, I went to actually the website. I glanced at it in the meeting. I went to the website. Stephen Ministry started in 1974 with a young seminarian who went to serve a church who realized he, it was more than he could do by himself. So he got nine people in his church and he trained them in how to be caregivers. Nine people. And he called it Stephen Ministry. Today, there are over 600,000 people that have been Stephen ministers in countries all around the world. Think he saw that? Uh, probably not. But he saw a need. He saw something he could do. Nine people bought into it. And today, we're part of, gosh, how many churches? 20, I don't know. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of churches worldwide that have Stephen ministry. And we could go on and on. I could do this all day long about ministries and, and things that, that have happened in the life of the church well before any of us were here and stuff that's happened since we've been in ministry together. People seeing what could be. Now, God's call isn't always to, to things that are going to be worldwide impact. Sometimes God's call is to things that will impact one or two people. And that's just as important. But the question becomes... How's your vision? How's our vision? Are we willing to see? Are we willing to embrace God's promise that he speaks to us? He spoke it to Moses. He spoke it to his people. He speaks it to us over and over in the scriptures. In one way or another, he affirms, I am with you. Jesus says, never will I leave or forsake you. I am with you. And when God works through the hearts of his people who are willing to see beyond what is, to see what can be, Powerful things happen. Lives are changed. History is redirected. The world is different. How's your vision? How's your vision? How's your ability to see the things that God has for you? Because I've told you before, you've heard it a million times from me. If you ain't dead, you ain't done. How's your vision? How's your vision? 
Moses stands there and he says to his people, don't just see what is, see what can be. I believe God looks to his church. I believe God looks at this church and he says to us, don't just see what is, see what can be. I am with you. Step in to your future. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we, uh, we thank you for the power that is at work within us. We know that we are all gifted. We are called. You have, you have poured your spirit into us. But our power comes from you. What we can do comes through your spirit at work through us. Help us to see what is and what we celebrate in 125 years of ministry here and the great things you have done. That is part of our story. But help us to embrace a future that says there is so much more yet to be accomplished. There is so much more to be done than we can see when we are willing to have vision. Help us to have vision, to move forward in faith, and to trust in your promise, I am with you. We claim that in faith. And we lift up our voices in prayer in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and amen.